0: Hello, everybody. This is uh, Chris Rogers, Mapping, Te- Te- Mapping Tech and Public Safety. And uh, we have Steve with us today, and also with us today, uh, as well as Pete Hanna, who is also attending the online virtual summit. And uh, this is day two of the virtual summit, or the virtual ESR user conference. And so, we, like we did yesterday, we, we've been giving an update of what we thought about the conference and some things we learned. And, uh, and uh, actually, Steve, I, I'll go ahead and start with one thing that was kind of interesting for me today is I sat in a lot of technical work set sessions. And one thing that was interesting to me was the uh, ArcGIS Online wrote ahead what they're going to do in the future. And there's a lot of neat features or attributes or things that are going to be happening with it. But one thing that I thought was interesting is instead of having shared groups or in addition to shared groups, they're setting up what's called a collaboration group, which basically means or a, a, an ability to collaborate, which means one of the headaches I've always had with sharing groups with other organizations is that I have to manage the people who I share it with. And so if I sit, so if I'm X fire department and I want to share a hydrant layer with Y fire department in a shared group, I have to admit everybody and manage that. Well, if you have a collaborative group, as long as you set the collaboration up and everything's equal, that other department could share and set up that group, shared group and collaborate openly so they can manage the people they admit in. We can manage the people we admit met in the group, and vice versa. So I thought it, was, it flattens out the responsibility a bit. And I thought that was an interesting uh, feature that's coming out of the, down the pipeline.
1: Now, under that collaboration group, does that mean... I, I'm just trying to think about that for a minute. So if you have your own AGOL account you're the administrator but pete has his own agol account from baltimore mm-hmm. does that mean like he doesn't need to be an administrator in your group correct
0: right so actually nobody's really an administrator you you, you set up a cl- and they didn't really they talked about it and they showed a couple of slides on how to do it but basically what it means is so if baltimore fire department and fdny want to collaborate on a set of layers, and you, Steve, with with FDNY, want to add a bunch of people to it. You could do it, even though maybe uh, Pete shared uh, set up the group initially.
1: Right, right. Oh, that's kind so of interesting.
0: Yeah, so it flattens the permissions out a little bit. So that, and, and I think the way I understood it as well is that you can extend that to other organizations as well. So maybe you want to share your hydrant layer, your, your group with nassau county and you could you could just say hey come on over and join this group and and everything is fine as long as that the permissions are set to do that so anyway i thought that was kind of a neat interesting thing because otherwise if i created the group i'd have to administer the group yeah and, and add people to it and say yes or no and i think i think especially with across different organizations that might be kind of a hassle
1: what, what session was that? AGOL Road Ahead or something?
0: Yeah, ArcGIS Online, The Road Ahead.
1: Oh, I'm going to check that one out tonight. So, yeah, yeah that was
0: pretty good. Yeah, I got to rewatch it because I missed the first part with some symbology stuff. But I, I thought that the collaboration thing, which is something I really hadn't thought about other than when I imagined it, it, kind, it is kind of annoying. That seemed to p- potentially solve kind of a hassle that I've experienced. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Did, did they talk about it at all, because I've used it, the the new map in AGOL? I know it's it's under beta.
0: Yeah, they did. And actually, it was interesting. So I've been playing with that, too. And I know it was under beta, but I, I didn't understand why. But the interesting thing with that is that that map can't open all the layers.
1: Yeah, I I have noticed a few things when I've tried it. A few things I can't think off the top of my head.
0: Yeah, a few of the things
1: I couldn't do, and I had to switch back to the regular AGOL map.
0: Yeah, and, and at least it's it cross pollinates. So, like, if you create a web map in the old web map program, you get it'll it'll come across, and vice versa. If you create a map in the beta version, it will. Go back down to the other version of the web map. Interface.
1: Right. Yeah, because a lot of the presentations I've seen, they they've been using that beta map. So I wasn't sure if they discussed the timeline when it'll be uh, fully published.
2: I did see I a think, cool. I did see a cool thing with Pro and saving web maps. Yeah. Did you guys see that? I didn't. I I, I caught a
0: glimpse of it, but you probably know more about it than I do.
2: Yeah, you can pull your web map into Arc Pro, manipulate it, change symbology, save it, and really? now your web map is now updated. And anything your web map hits, any dashboards, any apps, all update right from Pro.
1: Oh, that's sweet. Very hmm. cool. I, w- I still wish th- that they'd make. I like. I like the fact that I could bring the data in from AGOL. But like, like if, my point is, is if I create the data on my local hard drive, now upload it to, to ArcGIS online, now, Pete, you take it, maybe use collector or, you know, whatever, survey one, two, three, you change the data. There's no way for me to sync that back up with my, my local set of data. So it's, you know, really at that point, the data on my local <clears throat> machine is, is kind of dead to me. Unless I, you know, delete it and re-download it unless you sa- Unless
2: you save, like, in your favorites, you create, like, uh, that service and create, like, a server, basically, in your favorites in Pro. And then that's what you use instead of your local. So now... I go out and I collect data. It's now the service that you're hitting and not the local data.
1: Oh yeah, so no, right. absolutely. So. But I, I would just like it to, to be able to save that local data, you know, c- kind of like an enterprise setup with the ARC SDE. Right. You know, it, it's coming from ARC SDE, you're pushing it up to the cloud, you make you know, modifications, edits to the data, but it's always synced up with SDE.
2: That's the firefighter in you, man. You got yeah, like to have the backup, to the backup, to the backup.
1: If <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> okay, something goes wrong, I need the backup. Well, you know, I mean, th- that is true though. Cause that was something I always worried about at FDNY was, you know, what happens if we lose our internet connection? You know, I always had that data locally. Yeah, you can
2: still rely on the sneaker net and right. run, it to, exactly. run it to where you need to go to.
1: Yeah, but, yeah. you know, that's something I've always, I don't want to say complained about, but I, I guess kind of disliked that, you know, there's there's no synchronization, you know, between the two. So, Pete, what did you check out today? And what was some-
2: yeah, I really liked
1: Data Reviewer.
2: Data Reviewer is uh, basically prose Im- embedded topology. It's like topology where you could like set up everything like no gaps, no overlaps of your data and stuff like that. You can do feature to feature discrepancies, but then you can also check attributes, right? You can do rules on attributes. So like if one of your fields is nulls you can populate it and do field calculations that way and, and fix the errors or know where there's errors. So that was pretty, that's pretty cool and powerful like it's definitely got public safety written all over it. Like, I mean, you bring in your CAD data and, and it's a coded field, but you could change that to cardiac arrest or something like that, you know, instead of like, instead of being coded, you could use that data reviewer to change all your information, change your data to be streamlined and more user friendly in the end run. So I I really like data reviewer. What did you guys think of Ryan and, um, the medical stuff for the plenary.
1: Well, I'm a little disappointed in Ryan because when we were talking (laughs) during our Zoom meeting watching the plenary, I did text him and I asked him to give us the the Surf's Up symbol. So we knew it was really a live broadcast and he didn't do it. So he did text me back an emoji, but of the Surf's Up symbol, but so there's still the question of is is it, was it really a live presentation? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Well, I like, I like the stuff with the trace, tracing the COVID stuff, Yeah, really like old school John Snow and cholera type mapping where you can get down to the nitty gritty of who contacted who I, I think in today's world, there might be a couple of HIPAA violations running in there, but it was still great to see and that that technology is there and can be used.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, well, I know New York State is in. I well, I don't want to turn this into a, a coronavirus episode, but uh, New York State is not using the APIs from Apple and or Google. They're doing more of a manual process. They they felt it was better off that way, and literally, you know, making phone calls. You know, somebody, you know, test positive. They they're calling that person and saying okay where have you been in the last 24 hours and you know making notifications that way I personally I think the API way is better you know I I don't know how like if I if I test positive I go into a supermarket how they're going to know who's in that supermarket sure well I mean contact them
2: it's like what Ryan said in the plenary like there's the whole emergency management cycle right and we're in the middle of something. You don't break out a new tool when you're in the middle of an emergency, right?
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
2: so nobody's going to use that. But for the next one, if hopefully there's never a next one, but I'm pretty sure there might be later on down the road. Maybe it's 100 years from now. Maybe these tools are, are obsolete. <laughs> but maybe we there'll can put that into the playbook. It'll
0: probably be like a shock chip or something like that, to get close to six between somebody or somebody,
2: <laughs> Right. I mean, yeah. Who knows? But I mean, like maybe that's part of the new playbook when moving forward that when we prepare and we train and we do tabletops and we simulate using those tools instead of like during a live emergency, you know, you can't really kind of pivot in the middle of something. You emergency managers and even fire guys, you go back to what you know and is is familiar. You know, you're not going to break out a new, a new ax. No, no. You're going to go with the old regular, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to chance it.
1: Yeah. But um, one of the things I have been noticing with ArcGIS Pro, which I know I never do, and I'm just seeing a lot of it in these presentations is, you know, the functionality in Pro of, you know, you know, turning your data into graphs alongside your map and, you know, Peter, as you were mentioning, mentioning the, you know, that contact tracing, you know, and all that was done in pro. And well, again, I just haven't used it, but I, I want to start playing with stuff like that. Some of the other, you know, graphing functionality, you know, based on the, your GIS data, Yeah, you know, that's something I want to learn a little bit more about.
2: Yeah. It's pretty powerful. I mean, it's another way of visualizing your data, right? I mean, I used to it used to drive me mental when people made maps and it was just a measles map like points all over it and I was like this tells me nothing like it's just
0: yeah.
2: a million points on a map and it doesn't really tell me anything right but then you turn it into a graph and and you add the 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 data the powerful data that's behind it and you turn it into more data that's understandable just at a look right like that graph you could see that there was there was a change in, in what they were reporting and stuff. So, uh, and, and even that, that slice, uh, I forget what it was called. Uh, uh, was it Vorlex or something like that?
0: Oh, uh, oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. Sort of V.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was uh, the temporal data where they could take a slice and know exactly where they were at I think some of the examples was like, uh, was water temperature in some of the demos, uh, Vox and there you go. Yeah. But yeah, no, that definitely has public safety usage as well. I think, I mean, it's the learning curve could be steep for us, but, uh, but bringing your call data in and knowing like, okay, during this time period, during this day, we were overwhelmed or like, I think. Chris, you talked about that you suspected cases, COVID cases were earlier than what you thought or what was being reported and the data yeah. kind of proved it, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think there's some uh, suggestion that it happened like in Seattle or in, in January, something like that. There's some, well, it, you know, the first case came over in January and there's some some flu symptoms the people went to the hot doctor for that they didn't test positive for the flu. So the theory is that they probably had COVID because they didn't test. They they had flu symptoms without having the flu. So so
1: So what did you guys think of some of the user presentations? I, I watched a few today and actually I found out an interesting fact. I I will say that I I don't want to say which one, but one of the user presentations I was not impressed with at all. But then, I want to kind of ease up on that statement because there's a user presentation on NextGen911. And one of the presenters is a, a woman from Geocom that I work with. And it was a very good presentation if you didn't see it. Mm-hmm. But I sent her a Teams message, you know, saying it was, you know, that I thought it went really well. And she actually told me, she goes, oh, thank you. She said that she was contacted and only had a week to put it together and presented it, you know, with somebody down in Texas. So, you know, it was a very quick turnaround time. So I kind of ease up on my statement on the other one because I'm finding (laughs) out that these user presentations were put together very rapidly. But yeah, the next gen nine 911 is very good. And also the Corona California in, in, I think it's Riverside County that one was very good too and pete if you haven't checked that one out you you should it kind of reminds me of some of the uh, digital pegboard pdfs that you did with response times and drive time but you know they did all that and then you know published it to agol and you know set it up with slider maps you know so you could see the before and the after but yeah that was a very good presentation
2: speaking of drive times and routing what about that hazmat truck with the the buffers and the schools and the hospitals yeah that was sweet yeah
0: that was the uh, related to the internet of things presentation in the plenary where they talked about how things that are connected and internet enabled In this case it was uh, a hazmat truck they just said hazmat truck it'd be nice to add it like tinder or tanker or something like that but uh, something like that would be kind of interesting in context but i think one thing to be aware of in the future is that things will be more connected and so knowing how to leverage that information is very important in public safety
2: yeah i think we talked about that when we were talking uh, when we were viewing it there chris that that like in the future, maybe units won't even have to hit Modats and go on scene or like go in service. It'll just all be like buffers around your incident or around your hospitals or around your station. So when you leave that that geofence, then you're in route or you're on scene and and now those timestamps are right away instead of having some human error involved a lot of the, that's when I did like the NFPA 1710 analysis and stuff for Baltimore, a, a lot of the data was human error, right? So like the guy mm-hmm. or the girl up front didn't push on scene in time. And now your, your response time is longer, you know? So yeah. I think that might play into uh, the future of public safety, like just take that completely out of the hands of the officers and have them focus fully on, on the mission at hand.
0: I I agree with you totally. I I mean, I think, I think, first of all, even in that scenario of the hazmat response where if you had like that connected location of, of that rig that carries hazardous materials and something happens, you can instantly figure out, you know, based on what's in there, you know, these are the buffer zones based on ERG guidelines and, you know, extend it to the NIOSH stuff and you have that pre done. Heck, you could even like have a roving buffer. So if, if it stops and there's an incident, this is what this is where you have to focus on right here. Yeah, you, know, you can instantly do that instead of like doing the uh, thumb over the binoculars thing of like trying to figure out the placards. Yeah, I don't yeah, know Cr- if
1: Chris and I have even talked about in the past, well, on podcast episodes about having different iot sensors like you know weapons of mass destruction whether it be biological or chemical you know again having those sensors on the map and and reporting the real-time readings and everything so there there could be a lot of functionality for public safety
2: absolutely internet of things yeah and like especially with um tier one facilities and stuff like that like like think about if you had like a chemical plant and they're constantly moving that around. They're constantly having different levels of different chemicals. And then an incident happens and they're like, how much do you have? And I don't know. Uh, Last week we had 2000 gallons or whatever. And now it's actually 10 and they didn't realize it. But if you had those sensors and those tracking, then there's no question then of what's in that facility and what's going on, you know? And then first responders, regardless of who's on the scene and who's there, actually know that data when they and that information when they're responding. Just it's all about data and it's all about information and doing the right thing with it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. So one of the other things I wanted to mention too is I I watched an ArcGIS Pro editing technical session. Also very interesting some of the new editing functionality that's coming out with pro i don't know when it'll be released uh, it was just very interesting to to see some of the stuff one of the things it's going to be an option you know but right now in arcgis pro you're always in that editing mode so now you'll have an option to check uh to have editing off and then there'll be a button and mm. when when that the edit button isn't selected, all your editing tools will be grayed out. Uh, then you hit the edit button, and everything turns on, which which I kind of like because I I will admit that I have made a couple of mistakes sometimes in Pro and you know edited something by accident, you know, and then realize you know oh the save edit button is highlighted, so I, I have to discard it. So oh,
2: I uh, know you state.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: makes me think okay so like remember like you guys talked yesterday about the cool functionality of the recovery for arc pro like
1: yes i did see that as well the auto save
2: yeah the wonder if because you can do undo's in editing sessions in arc pro and it's really nice that feature but i wonder if it'll remember all your edits like so say like Mm. say the scenario happens like you move a polygon and then the pro crashes and you're like, Oh, okay. I'll just recover it. And then now that edit is permanent. And then can you undo that?
0: That'd be a good question. I think, I think it was just related to editing the uh, map project.
2: I, I don't know.
1: I wonder. Be,
0: that's a good question.
1: Yeah. Someone's going to have to test that one out. But yeah. I mean, I will say though, when I do use pro, I find it more st- a lot more stable and don't have that many crashes compared to ArcGIS Desktop.
0: Yeah, that's true. It, it is a lot more. It still crashes, but it's not not as much. So. Oh, yeah. Not
1: as
2: frequent. I agree. One
1: one of the other cool functionalities I saw was uh, this guy set up an edit template. Pete, I was telling you about this before, and he was drawing out water mains. So he drew drew out this one water main on. Uh, on a street, and he had some default uh, settings in there, default attributes. So like, for instance, in in regards to like the status of the water main, he had it defaulted as proposed. But then the really cool thing that I saw was he created a bunch of group templates. So the point is, is that he created the one water main down the street, but then wanted to create water mains from that water main to each of the houses Uh, so he set up this group template where it said okay well now if I draw a line um, I want to have a valve you know where I'm connecting to the main part of the water main 50 feet in was an I think another valve and then like you could set it up with 75 feet into or 75 percent into the line creates a, a water meter and so essentially once he drew this line from the water main to the house it put in these points and these other features automatically mm-hmm. so he was actually creating i think it was three possibly four new feature classes just based on that one line file for the water main or from the main from the the main part of the main to the house so another cool feature that i saw
2: yeah there's definitely some power in pro that <clears throat> that arc map definitely didn't have in the past that, that pro <clears throat> like tasks is another one we talked about that earlier in our in our little meetings tasks are another powerful thing in pro like you could set up the workflow and then a, a lay person can come along and just follow the tasks and work through them and and go step by step and not really mess anything up so it's yeah. it's 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 going to be going to be good and good new advancements and Good new yeah. possibilities for sure. Yeah,
1: the, the only thing I was thinking about with this pro, which you know, obviously because of the business we're in, was I was right away trying to think of some of these group editing tasks and how we could use them in public safety. So that's something we could talk about offline amongst ourselves. But you know, yeah, right away I-, I was thinking of some pre-planning stuff, but mm. I, I can't really. I, I don't. I don't have any ideas. So. Some maybe we could talk about one day.
2: I don't know. Maybe if you put in a point, then it connects the point to the route. Like if you like, let's say you have like, I'll use the Pimlico racetrack in Baltimore as an example, right? They put up a whole new city for that race. Right. But if you put in a a point of interest, but now that point of interest can connect to a route. So you can actually route your bike medics or foot medics. Mm you could you could streamline that process, right? Like that one special interest, that point of interest that I want people to go to has to fall inside a polygon, has to fall in, has to connect to the route and then has to populate all these fields. It, it, there's definitely there's definitely ways we can ma- manipulate those tools to fit into a public safety infrastructure.
1: Yeah. yeah, no, that's a good idea. But uh, yeah, something we should jot down and definitely brainstorm a little bit on some of those ideas
2: my history geek went off though when they they did that locate xt with the text and made gis yeah that was kind
1: of interesting
0: that was pretty amazing yeah
1: yeah so Pete, why don't you describe a little bit what that is
0: well actually we should like save that for tomorrow because don't we have a, a shindig we have to go to Oh, that's
1: true. true. Yeah, I, I lost track of time already. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris is actually referring to the uh, Napsig uh, virtual happy hour get together, uh, which is always on Tuesday night out in San Diego. So they're hosting that tonight.
0: Yeah, so, one of the one of the drags of this this virtual thing is none of that.
1: Yeah, exactly. We'll
0: do our best. Yeah.
1: So, like we mentioned last night. We actually had, I think it was like six, seven, or eight people on our uh, Zoom meeting while we were watching the plenary. So uh, if anybody wants to join us, feel free to reach out to us through our website, com, or you can hit us up on any social media, uh, also on Slack, and we can invite you. It's, it's, it's been pretty cool having the Zoom meeting and listening to the plenary and yeah. talking amongst ourselves the different things that we're seeing so yeah, definitely yeah. the more the merrier yeah totally um,
2: it's like okay. our little gis firehouse kitchen table
1: exactly <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> totally. all right guys well uh thanks for the wrap-up and uh i'll see you over in the the napsig virtual meeting all right sounds good see you in a bit see ya thanks guys bye